2: Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com.
1: Welcome to Eat Your Heartland Out, a show about the intersection of food and culture in the American Midwest. Thank you for listening to one of our five special episodes in collaboration with Great Lakes Now from Detroit Public Media. I'm your host Capri Cafaro. This is the third episode in our special series of Eat Your Heartland Out in collaboration with Great Lakes Now from Detroit Public Media. And this is a special episode for me because it takes you to my home state of Ohio. It's about great wine on the Great Lakes and believe it or not, Ohio produces some great wine on the north coast of Lake Erie. I'll be joined by Lori Lalick Lee, and she'll talk to me about the specialized programs offered at Kent State University, Ashtabula campus to train the next generation of winemakers and grape growers. Lori's going to be joining me a little bit later in the show, but right now I want to bring in Donnie Winchell. She's the executive director of the Ohio Wine Producers Association. Donnie, who's someone that I know, has been working in the wine and tourism industry for decades, so she's an expert on all things Ohio wine. Donnie, welcome to the program.
3: Thank you very much. Pleased to be here.
1: Oh, we are happy to have you. So you are like the wine guru of the Buckeye State, and uh, I... You know, it's true. And, and, you know, I know it's true as well. So um, a lot of people, you know, are sometimes surprised that the Great Lakes and places like Ohio actually have a wine country or produce wine at all. Um, You and I are not surprised by that because we live with it every day. But um, tell, tell me and the audience uh, more particularly about the wine regions uh, across the state of Ohio and uh, kind of what makes them different.
3: Well, the state is divided into a number of areas, and we do have grapes growing in nearly every county in Ohio. But for this purpose, the focal point will be the south shore of Lake Erie. And the reason the grapes grow there is because of that amazing Great Lake. Um, It is the shallowest of the Great Lakes, um, but in our case, it is most influential on providing us an ability to grow great fruit. We have several growing regions that are federally recognized by the US government. Um, we are mm-hmm. regulated by TTB, and even they say that the Lake Erie region, which extends from nearly Toledo into Chautauqua, New York, and the Grand River Valley, which is a tiny dot within that region, Isle St. George, which is the northernmost of the American islands in the lake, and soon, very soon, hopefully, there will be one attributed to Conneaut Creek.
1: Really fantastic news!
3: Right. Good news. Exciting for all of us. We've been working on Coneyet Creek for a couple of years, and here we're we're coming along. That's great. The the reason that these are so special is that the federal government actually identifies these microclimates. There are places in Ohio along Lake Erie that are a mile and a half or two miles apart, and Mm -hmm. from one point to the other, we can grow some of the best vinifera-winning gold medals in California, and just a mile and a half away, they can't grow anything because spring frost is so intense in the lower areas. Well, microclimates micro are no joke, then. They, oh, they are not. Um, lake Erie provides a general temperature moderation. Um, in the fall, when the lake is warm, the winds blow across the lake and are trapped by what we call the escarpments. In our area there, along the lake, there are roads called Middle Ridge, North Ridge, South Ridge, and those actually represent the ridges of the ancient lakes. So when the breezes come from the north across the lake onto the land, um, those ridges, those escarpments, trap the air and drop it. So in an area like uh, east of Cleveland or west of Cleveland, when the growing season continues for another two or three weeks, our friends south in Trumbull and Mahoning counties um, have already frosted their tomatoes. Um, the opposite happens in the spring. In the spring, when the lake is very cold, and it is very cold, those breezes come across, the uh, winds come from the lake, they are trapped by the escarpment, they drop, and they prevent early bud break. So in a year when spring frosts come, the the buds are protected. They are protected within those little shells so the frost doesn't damage them nearly as badly. So the lake provides chimp. The reason we grow is because of Lake Erie. Um, But then these microclimates are created. Um, It's no no accident that the Grand River Valley, the GRV, uh, AVA, the American Viticulture Area, is named after the river because it's a very deep gorge and air, just like water, drains So, on cold spring nights, um, the warm air rises, the cold air drops onto the riverbed, and the lakes, uh, the the river provides some temperature moderation. when I have friends come from D.C., and we, we do a lot of work with, with folks all over the East Coast, when they come to visit, they say, oh, my goodness, that Grand isn't very Grand. It's awfully skinny and deep <laughs> because they're used, to, they're used to the Potomac and the Susquehanna, which are wide and broad. Um, but really, the, the gorges help us grow those grapes. Same thing happens in Conneaut Creek. Um, a little bit of a different circumstance happens on, happens on Isle St. George and the other Lake Erie Islands. They are surrounded by water. So they are consistently a little more moderately, um, the temperatures moderate a little less because the water keeps temperatures more consistent. In addition, those lake breezes um, pre- prevent uh, mildew from settling. So we have lots of, and and oh, grapes are, are tightly clustered, especially the vinifera ones, the things like Chardonnay right. and Riesling. The tight clusters um, can accumulate in the those creeks and creeks and cricks and, and crevices, can accumulate molds and mildew. When the breezes blow off the lake, um, that is very much mitigated. So the lake is the reason we exist as a wine industry in Ohio.
1: Well, you've given us like an incredible uh, thousand-foot view um, with actually quite a bit of detail on the role that the lake plays in the success of grape growing and winemaking on Ohio's north coast and Lake Erie. You mentioned the Grand River Valley. That is something that is east of Cleveland, uh, I know, that, and that's where 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 I am from and where you are based. Uh, you know, there there certainly are uh, wineries and grape growing that happens on the west side as well, uh, all the way up into those Lake Erie Islands and Kelly's Island, Put In Bay, etc. South Bass Island, on that side, on the west side, the Western Basin. Um, so, uh, you know, th- that overview that you provided really, I think, has given me and the listeners a good understanding. Um, you know that we can actually grasp without a lot of you know scientific, uh, you know verbiage, which I know, having worked on this issue, it can get a little bit overwhelming. Um, you know, to understand the role that the lake plays in creating that that appropriate climate for the type of grapes that you need in order to make good wine, because it's not just any grape. You know, you mentioned you know grapes, for example, that uh, make good Chardonnay. Um, and then a number of the wines that we have, um, are actually award winning. And I want to stick on that for just a minute. Um, because I do know that there are are some wines that have actually beat, um, you know, California wines, uh, and they're from Ohio. So let's use this opportunity to um, shine a a spotlight on that good work.
3: Sure. There are lots of, very credible, very reputable competitions all over the country. But the granddaddy of them all is the San Francisco Chronicle Competition. And so I'll use that as our best example. Um, we, 20 years ago, I got a call from a fellow named Anthony Diaz Blue. He was the then editor of, um, I believe, Gourmet Magazine. And he said to me, in his very thick accent, I have this Riesling here, Where is it from? It just won Best White Wine, and this was well, actually, forty years ago, nineteen eighty-two, and that was that was a watershed for us. We had never gotten any any of that kind of recognition. But it launched the opportunity for our wineries to believe in themselves and to begin planting grapes that could produce fine wines. Um, this Two years ago, we won Best Dessert Wine with Ice Wine. Uh, the year before that, we won Best Dessert with Ice Wine, again, all in the San Francisco competition, which has come which has a wine um, wine's entered from all over the world Nine more than 9,000 entries two years ago this was another sh- watershed if you will um, we won best Chardonnay Chardonnay, in the under $15 category which is like the fighting varietals um, we, we have won awards again and again we grow something called cool climate whites cool climate whites are things like Riesling, Riesling and Chardonnay Pinot Gris, Pinot Grigio um, Gruner-Veltliner, uh, Gewurztraminer, things that are require um, cool nights, long growing season, and hot summers, and we have, most years, the opportunity to do those. We don't do really well when we need an extended season. We grow a little bit of Cabernet Franc, a little bit of Pinot Noir, but the big reds, like those produced in Napa Valley, we typically don't do exceptional things with, although we do nice ones. So, we have begun to turn heads. Uh, there's a winery over in Vermilion Valley that is um, just appointed to the national research arm, um, in part because he's growing some killer Cab Franc. So, um, we do things that turn people's heads, that are approachable, that are interesting, and that are well-balanced. A well-balanced wine has a little bit of acid backbone um, and a sometimes a hint of sweetness, sometimes dry, but well-balanced with um, complexity and we can do those in the climate varietals, and we prove our worth every year again and again. We have over 800 medals the last couple of years in national competitions, including a plethora of them from um, the San Francisco uh, judging.
1: Wow. I mean, that—that that is a lot to be uh, really proud of. Um, and I think something that people are really, probably very surprised about.
3: Actually. Um, when I took this job many, many years ago, um, Ohio only produced sweet Concord's and Catawbas, and it takes mm-hmm. a very long it takes a very long time for one the wineries to figure out what can be grown in the climate that we have, and number sure. two, for those grapes to mature, and then finally for the consumer to understand that we're doing some exciting things. Right. So, uh, to tell those stories, the association and many of our winery friends have become. Have begun to develop festivals and outreach. We draw, we draw two and a half million people to our wineries in Ohio a year. Wow. But um, in a population of Ohio size, what, seven, eight million, whatever we have these days, we need to do some outreach. So these events, these festivals that we do, these wine trails that we do, are designed to convince consumers who may not take the drive into wine country um, that we are doing something exciting and interesting.
1: So tell me about these uh, these trails and these festivals. I know there are a number of them uh, on on the north coast. I believe shores and islands on the west side, and I think vines and wines on the east side. Um, What are these? Something that that people can you know follow along uh, all year round, or is this seasonal?
3: Well, it depends on the season. We try not to do them in the summer because the wineries are very very busy. But in the shoulder season, in the shoulder seasons of spring and fall, and then right before Christmas, when we're obviously looking to get some Christmas uh, gift sales, um, we have a series of events. Um, West of Cleveland, we have something called Deck the Wreath, where folks gather, they pick a large 25, 30-inch wreath, and at each winery they visit, they have an ornament that they can hang on the wreath, and they have a couple samples of wine and a little bit of food to match. On the east side of town, we do something called Tannenbaum Trail, where you collect a little Christmas tree. And again, each of the wineries, you collect an ornament and do some wine sampling. Those are designed for uh, a demographic that maybe doesn't know a lot about wine, but looking for fun, looking for an experience. Right. There's a lot of girlfriend travel. There's a lot of mother and daughter travel. There's a lot of couple travel.
1: <laughs> I've done it all in, 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 in every possible. birthday. <laughs> You know, uh, you know, couple trip, like the whole nine. We've, uh, you know, I've done it, and I bring everybody that comes to town, and you know, just day trips. I mean, there are so many um, opportunities because you don't have to know a lot about wine to enjoy wine country, um, and and I think that's one of the real, you know, attractive things about it, and the fact that there's that proximity to to the lake, which creates a different type of ambiance as well.
3: Absolutely. Um, I, there was a fellow named Jean Bonnet, uh, a well-known California um, author, contributor, was here several years ago. And he said, coming to the north coast of Ohio and visiting the wineries is a non-intimidating environment where you can learn about wine in a relaxed and fun atmosphere. And I sort Amen. of that. I wear that moniker on my head. It really is. For people who are intimidated, and will not say demeanor, rather call it gee whiz, um, after several <laughs> trips to a winery where they can practice their pronunciation and not be embarrassed, um, they will comfortably walk into a restaurant and say, I want that 19 oh, and, uh, 2007 from XYZ Winery with all kinds of confidence. So, you know, we talk about the wineries as a destination for people on a regular basis. Those millions that come every summer to visit us, those hundreds of thousands every thousands every weekend, maybe we'll travel to Napa or Sonoma or Walla Walla or maybe even France or Italy once or twice in a lifetime. But the wineries are accessible. There is a winery in Ohio within 35 minutes of every single yes. resident. So we can provide a fun environment, relaxing, and even during COVID. We advertised during COVID social distancing on 30 acres. So there was an opportunity to relax enjoy and experience all that we had to offer even under those trying circumstances.
1: Yes, yes. I, I recall going up to some of the wineries in the Grand Valley during that time as well. And it really was, um, you know, a really pleasant experience to have that, you know, outdoor social distancing in, in a relaxed environment, in a, in a beautiful setting. Um, and, you know, you've mentioned a couple of times about the, the, you know, volume of individuals that have come into Ohio to experience the wineries. What, what does that translate into in regards to Ohio's economy? Well, it's really interesting.
3: We're um, about $6.5 billion in total, total economic impact throughout the state. But what's interesting is it's more than just visiting the wineries. Um, t- 30 years ago, when I first took this job, there was a handful of wineries in the along the south shore of Lake Erie. Um, now there are several hundred. And those several hundred people are Driving the construction of hotels, they are yeah. they are exploding with beds and breakfasts, and uh, where people come. Eighty-five percent of the wineries, excuse me, eighty-five percent of the B and Bs in uh, the Grand River Valley exist because of the wine business. So beyond the, and people don't go to an area to um, sleep. They go to an area to view the, view the beautiful lake, those beautiful sunset with a glass of wine in hand, um, our spectacular lodge on the South Shore, beautiful facility. Unbelievable facility. Five star facility, um, lovely, and and all kinds. But there are all kinds of accommodations for all prices. Um, you know, we've got yep. a lot of flag hotels, and we have a lot of B and Bs, and we have this spectacular lodge. Same thing is going on on the west side of town. Uh, another another example are the livery services. There are currently yes. sixty livery services servicing the wineries between Toledo and Connecticut, Ohio. And
1: let and me tell you something: they're hard to book. They're they always really, booked.
3: They're growing all the time. I happen to live in a little community called Geneva on the Lake in the summer, and someone just bought seven more of those little minivans with ten or twelve passengers. They visit the wineries. Uh, we're working with the folks over on the west side of town to get launch a number of those. We're working some, with some folks in Amish country to launch a number of those. Oh, so people wow. visit the wine visit the wineries. Um, enjoy their experience, get there safely, go back to a hotel, and relax for the evening. So it is an economic engine. Um, musicians, uh, we do a survey periodically with the musicians. There are about $3 million spent on musicians, uh, and the wineries that I cited before, just hiring folks to entertain the guests that arrive. That's sure, annually. Sure. So the wineries have become an economic engine with a demographic average household income, about one hundred twenty thousand, twenty six percent mm-hmm. have postgraduate degrees. So it's a very desirable um, demographic for restaurants and everybody else.
1: And 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 I would say that that the demographic really does, when it comes from the age demographic, I think really runs the gamut as well. I mean, you have everything from families to retirees, as you said, you know, sort of the girlfriend groups, moms and daughters, spa weekends to couples. Uh, Even things that are pet friendly, which, uh, you know, I really appreciate with with my dog being able to bring bring your your pet to some of these places and hang out uh, outside while listening to live music and doing a tasting, having cheese, that sort of thing um, is really an attractive uh, tourist, um, you know, beacon.
3: And it, it is attracting generational marketing. Grandparents feel comfortable bringing the, the uh, you know, 21-year-old grandkids. And they bring the puppies because sometimes the, they don't have any more grandkids. <laughs> so they bring their <laughs> granddogs. Um, um, and and we're, we, we do a lot of events. The wineries themselves do lots of individual activities. Um, and beyond the trails, we do these big festivals. We have a giant festival.
1: I was just going to ask. I'm glad you brought it up because if you didn't, I would have asked you about, about Vintage Ohio. And the and the I and Island Wine Festival.
3: And Island Wine. We actually, and in the fall we have one up near Bowling Green. So we have three major festivals in the north coast area vintage ohio the granddaddy of course was the first of its kind and actually is a model for festivals all over the country i speak at least twice uh, three times a year in other states talking about this festival as a tool for economic development and so this year will be the first year for our Portland bay event we're very excited um this january uh, excuse me this june this june 14th is coming I'm sorry, June 17th is coming. And then, of course, Vintage Ohio is the first Friday and Saturday in August. And then in October, we'll head over to Bowling Green and pull some folks down from southwest Michigan, southeast yep. Michigan, northwest Indiana, and try and tell the Ohio wine story extending beyond our borders.
1: That's that's so exciting. Uh, I mean, I just am so pleased to have this opportunity to share Ohio's story always. I mean, I'm, I'm a proselytizer when it comes to sharing the Midwestern story, but that comes from the heart of it all. And the heart of it all is back as you know. Once again, Ohio's slogan. Um, and it seems like, you know, Ohio is quite the heart of it all when it comes to wine as well. What's on the horizon for uh, Ohio wine producers, uh, particularly on the North Coast? Um, As you mentioned, there's significant growth uh, and has been over the last three decades. Uh, I would assume that that growth is going to continue.
3: Actually, I know and I I try and keep track. um, There are uh, 425 wineries in Ohio now. When I started, there were 13. Um, And there are 57 applications uh, pending. Of those 57, at least 30 are in the North Coast area. So it takes a year or two or three or sometimes five for a winery from the initial concept to think about what you might launch to opening your front doors. But we are looking at a very, very bright future. We're looking to work with those, those Zs, the, that, that coming generation, providing some fun experiences. So it's not just about wine drinking. It's about that total experience of immersion yeah. in a quality of life and a wine culture that complements a f- fun way to live, as long as it's done in moderation.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I I say again, I mean, I have having uh, had an opportunity to uh, experience particularly my backyard in the north coast on the east side, Ashton County, that Grand River Valley uh, area. I mean, it is just it's it is certainly about the wine, but it's really more about the total experience. You know, you feel like you are in Provence and Italy or excuse me, in France and some of these wineries, you're outside amongst the vines and, you know, the the you know, nice little cottage and, you know, the, the wooden swing. And I mean, it's just, it's such a nice environment. Um, And it is this real, you know, um, it is a lifestyle in many ways.
3: Well, you've been a champion for years for certainly the Midwest, but very specifically for Ohio. We are both appreciative and respectful of all that you do to help tell this wonderful story of this wonderful Midwest community in which we live
1: well thank you and I have one final question for you as we are both from Ohio and we know Ohio wines but for people that you know might be listening from other parts of the Great Lakes region, maybe they have wine in you know the the Upper Peninsula of Michigan for example um, or uh, other parts of upstate New York around the Great Lakes there what would they find what would they? Find in a in an Ohio wine that might be similar to what they're used to, but might also be different than what they might be used to in a wine in their Great Lakes community.
3: Well, I have we have great good friends in the Traverse City region and on the west on the west coast um, of of Michigan. Great good friends in, in the Finger Lakes for sure. And what's exciting is that it is they will be similar, but they will be different. I will take um, the a Riesling for example. A riesling grown in um, Ohio tends to have more melon and ha- have more um, uh, peachy characteristics, whereas the riesling that might be grown on Seneca Lake and the Finger Lakes might be a little have a little more minerality. So the exciting thing about exploring in this entire region is to find a wine variety or two that you might have some affinity to and then begin tasting from all of those various regions, seeing the nuances, seeing the difference, seeing the the opportunity For each wine grower to represent the soil in which the grapes were grown, and then represent the techniques that he or she personally um, can impart in his cellar practices. So it's a journey of exploration. Um, The best I taught school for a while, and I taught history, and I got I taught tenth graders, and I had you know two thousand years of twenty different civilizations. So I never (laughs) ran out of things to talk about and to learn personally. That's why this wine business is so joyful and so interesting for a curious person. There's an opportunity to explore that curiosity on your palate, um, and with a glass in hand. So the the interesting things of about Riesling and Chardonnay and the other cool climate things that we grow are always uh, an opportunity to expand your personal life experiences and 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 relax a little for some personal enjoyment too.
1: Well, let's encourage all of the listeners to explore uh, and be guided by their curiosity. Come to the North Coast. And if you can't make it there to the North Coast of Lake Erie in Ohio, if you're in the Great Lakes, check out your local uh, wine, which is also, I'm sure, incredible uh, and driving a- an economic engine in your part of the Great Lakes. So, Donnie Winchell, thank you so much for sharing Ohio's wine story with our listeners. I got to take a break, but stick around when we come back. I'll be joined by Lori Lallick-Lee from Kent State University, Ashtabula Campus, who'll be talking to me about their special programs to train the next generation of winemakers and grape growers.
2: This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood.
1: Welcome back to Eat Your Heartland Out. I'm Capri Cafaro, and this is one of these special episodes that we are doing in conjunction with Great Lakes Now from Detroit Public Media. We've been talking about Ohio wines, and now I am excited to have an opportunity to welcome Lori Lalick lee to the program. She's at Kent State University, Ashtabula Campus, and she's integrally involved in their programs to train the next generation of winemakers and grape growers. Lori, you wear a lot of hats, so thank you so much for taking the time to join the program.
4: No problem. It's great to be here, Capri.
1: Absolutely. Well, I, you know, I uh, am always excited to talk about Ohio on this program. It is the impetus for my creation of it and, and also why I'm so passionate about the Great Lakes. Um, we have so much to celebrate Uh, in our backyard here in Northeastern Ohio and our Great Lake, Lake Erie. Um, You're up there um, in Ashtabula County up there because you're, you're North of me by about an hour. Um, And you, know, there, you know, you're lucky, we're lucky to have um, a branch of Kent state university that uh, is focused on a number of these, um, these industry sectors that, uh, you know, feed right into the wine industry. So, Explain to us what viticulture and enology are, because some of our listeners might not be familiar with those terms.
4: Absolutely. So in the simplest terms, viticulture is the growing of grapes, and enology is the making of wine.
1: That's very simple. That's that's much easier to understand that than maybe to pronounce enology. So I, I appreciate that very much. <laughs> You're not um, the first and-
4: person who's had a problem with that word. <laughs>
1: You know, you're adding in a letter or two here or there. Um, So how long has uh, Kent State Ashtabula been offering programs related to viticulture and enology?
4: So we launched uh, both degree programs in fall of 2011 after about a two-year process to get the curriculum approved through the state.
1: Mm-hmm. And what is that curriculum that is offered now? How is it has it evolved over the years? Um over the last decade and change or uh, has it remained the same?
4: Well, it has evolved. I think um first of all, so we originally launched um associate degrees. So we have both mm-hmm. the associate degree in viticulture and the associate degree in enology, and they are two different programs, but they do overlap um considerably. So there are courses that are in both programs. And then in addition to that, in 2018, we launched what we call certificate programs. Mm -hmm. And the certificate programs are um, programs that are just focused on viticulture and enology. So they're um, just the core classes that are included in each of those subject areas. And a student can earn um, a certificate versus a degree, which allows them to jump right into the workforce Mm -hmm. without taking all of the other college classes, you know, Mm -hmm. what we call the Kent core, um, the things that I tell students all the time is what makes them well-rounded individuals.
1: (laughs) Right, right. Sure. I mean, you know, those things are important, but if you are, you know, uh, maybe switching careers midlife, you're looking to do something different, um, you know, these certificate programs seem like a really great opportunity to uh, earn the skills that you need to be able to enter into these fields that i would assume are attracting a lot of new people um just because i you know i see how much um over the last you know 15 20 years the the great um the grand valley uh wine region up there um on lake erie has has really grown and and has attracted a lot of investment visitors um and and you know um a lot of attention as well Absolutely.
4: And I would say, I mean, the, the industry as a whole in the state of Ohio has o- almost doubled since mm-hmm. we launched the degrees in 2011. Um, I don't have current numbers in front of me, but I know it's um, over 350 wineries in the state of Ohio now. Wow! And so it is, um, or at least 350 permits to be a winery in the state of Ohio. Mm-hmm. They may not have all have opened yet. Sure, But they um, but so it really has um, just expanded exponentially. And we see that right here in the Grand River Valley because we've seen new wineries in the last five years or 10 Mm -hmm. years. And so the industry as a whole just continues to grow. And so it is attracting more and more employees. And in order to um, improve their skill set before going into that workforce, a lot of them are choosing to come here. And complete either those certificates or the associate degrees before
1: they go work in the industry. Sure, that makes a lot of sense. Now I, I know that this isn't directly in your purview, but I also am aware that um, Kent State does have a hospitality program. We do, um, and one that is, uh, you know, has some programming or affiliation with the Geneva State Lodge, which is directly on Lake Erie. Um, yes. How how um, how does the hospitality program and the lodge? Um, in integrate with any of the work that you may do.
4: Well, they integrate. We integrate with both frequently. So with the hospitality management program, they um, redid their curriculum. Um, it was during COVID, so it must have been twenty 2020 twenty or twenty twenty one, because I w- I was working on that from home. So I distinctly remember it. <laughs> and we actually um, integrated our certificate programs into the hospitality and event management degree. So Mm. a student that's receiving a bachelor's degree in hospitality and event management can choose to do their 18 credit hours of electives in that program within our wine degrees, or um, we also have a certificate in brewing technology. Mm -hmm. And so they can choose to do that as their 18 credit hours of electives and earn both the certificate and the hospitality and event management degree at the same time. Has that, so, that been
1: popular? Has that been popular? Because to me, I would think that that would be really a, a popular path given the the landscape literally and figuratively uh, there.
4: Well, it's very new. So it is picking hmm. up steam is how I'll put it. So there right. are students that have chosen to do that and it is, it's, is starting to increase. Um, so hopefully it will continue to increase in future years as well. Um, and so that really, um, that's been a great partnership for us with the hospitality and event management program, because there is so much hospitality management involved, particularly in being in a winery, yes. M- maybe not necessarily if you're in the cellar, just producing wine, but if you're ever spending any time in a tasting room or, um, you know, in any capacity like that, you're going to need those skills that you learn in the hospitality event management program as part of the work that you're doing. And what we see particularly in a lot of our smaller um, wineries in the region is that sometimes the people who work in the cellar during the week are the same people who are working in the tasting room on the weekends.
1: Totally. That's absolutely – I've noticed the same. Right. So
4: it is – so that partnership has been um, a bonus um, to us and I think a good thing for the industry as a whole. And then with the Lodge, you know, we're just – um, we're so lucky to have that resource in our community. I don't, I mean, it, there's no other way to put it. I mean, first of no. all, it's a beautiful facility. It For is. anybody who hasn't been there and hasn't seen it, um, it's amazing. And it's it has nothing but improved over the last 15 and 20 years. I mean, they've Agreed. added so many um, features. We actually um, are part of a national viticulture and enology grant that is, um Partially funded by the National Science Foundation, wow, and um, which is called Vesta, um, and we host a Vesta conference once a year to discuss curriculum and to discuss uh, those types of um, issues to make sure that we're keeping up with what's happening in the industry and and being as cutting edge as we can for the students that are coming through our program. And we actually were able to host that summit at the lodge last. May, early June. Um, it kind of crossed over after Memorial day there, but we hosted that at the lodge and we were able to bring in people from all over the country. We had, um, almost a hundred participants in the summit and they were blown away by the facility and the quality of the facility. And then many of them had never been to Northeast Ohio and never seen the great lakes, never been to the great lakes. Um, And it's, they are, they're amazed at the resource that's right in our backyard.
1: Absolutely. This is exactly, again, why, you know, I do this program and why I'm proud to, you know, do this collaborative work with Great Lakes now as well is because there's sort of two groups of folks that um, are our listeners and viewers. and, And, you know, those are folks that are like You and I that probably, you know, know the greatness of the Great Lakes, celebrate Mm -hmm. it, want everybody else to know about it. And then people that have never been here, never seen the Great Lakes, have no idea, no concept, and are curious about it. And so I think for both of those audiences, you know, getting to know, you know, we know Lake Lake Erie, but maybe... Not Lake Huron, so folks from right. Ohio might learn about another part of the Great Lakes, and vice versa, um, which which is just which is just great. So I mean, the Geneva Lodge and that view of Lake Erie and everything that is there to offers is, is just um, really world class. Um, I want to go back to something you were talking about. Um, you know, collaboration with um, uh, with some entities, and and I wanted to ask about uh, collaboration with um, any of the other actual local wineries. Do you work uh, at all with local wineries in the Grand River Valley region um, to help them do research at all or, you know, train their employees specifically?
4: So um, we have a number of local wineries who have chosen to send employees through our program or have encouraged employees to pursue the degrees or the certificates through us. And so we... We really do a lot to try to stay in touch with the wineries across the entire state, and particularly right here in our own backyard, um, to make sure that they're aware of what we have available and what, you know, and what's here, um, as well as us understanding what they have available and what they're doing. Um, We do have... A number of our classes require students to spend some amount of time, whether it's eight hours in the semester or 100 hours in the semester, depending on the course, doing work um, either in the vineyards or in the winery to Mm -hmm. really learn the hands on skills that are associated with the degree. And so we partner with a number of wineries to help do that because we can't, obviously we can't put all of our students in one place. That would be great, wouldn't it? But, um, but not right now. (laughs) And so we, um, we really need to um, keep those relationships and those partnerships alive and keep them positive um, and make sure that we're, we're doing, we're working with them to understand the changes that they're going through so that we're teaching our students about that. And then that were there as a resource to them to provide them students or graduates when they're ready to hire people.
1: Right, right. Now, what about other uh, academic institutions? I know that there's a great uh, research facility not too far from Kent State Astrobule, a little bit further east in North Absolutely. Kingsville uh, on the um, on the lake. Um, do you do any work with, uh, with that and with Ohio State? Because th- that facility is, is associated with Ohio State.
4: It is f- associated with Ohio, with Ohio State, and it's um, a f- phenomenal asset to both the community and the industry. And we do, um, I consider us very lucky to have formed a very nice partnership with the research station. And we work very closely with the director of the station out there, whose name is Andy Kirk. Mm -hmm. And um, they grow a variety of grapes um, under a variety of circumstances in order to do research. And so we partnered with them um, two years ago to pursue some funding to do some research um, under the research grant that's provided by the Ohio Grape Industries Committee. Mm -hmm. And so we have been working very closely with them over the last two years on a couple of different projects, um, which we... HOPE will be, um, will be granted additional funding to, to be able to continue those projects at the end of this two-year cycle. Uh, we recently put in that application, actually, um, to get that additional funding. But it's been a good relationship for us because it's allowed our students to participate in research at an associate degree level or even a certificate degree level mm-hmm. that they wouldn't necessarily have an opportunity to do. And so it allows them to help with those projects and to sort of see the the research process. And then it's been a good... We believe that it the, the results will ultimately benefit the industry because we are looking at some ways that we can um, maybe change some of the perspective on the way we use grapes and wine um, here. So the one... I'll talk about the one project a little bit. The one project is... Um, about how to produce sparkling wine in a natural way. And the the term for it is petnat is the, the mm-hmm. industry term for the wine that you process this way. And one of the, and it's, it's gaining in popularity because there's very little, um, I can't think of the right word. Uh, there's very little, um, you do very little to the wine once you, ferment it, you just basically put it in the bottle and let it naturally ferment and bubble on mm-hmm. its own. So very little intervention. That's the word I was looking for. So it's, it's got, there's some popularity, particularly in, um, larger urban areas where people, um, it's trendy to have, to drink a pet nat sparkling wine versus something that's been produced with a lot of intervention. Right. but what but one of the drawbacks to the petnats is that they're very unstable because you are just basically putting them in the bottle and letting them ferment themselves in mm-hmm. bottle to bubble. And so there's so what we're looking at is if there's a way to do a minimal amount of intervention with those wines where we can provide some additional stability so that one they're a little bit cleaner cuz the, the a, a completely natural petnat wine is um I would say cloudy and a little bit dirty um, mm-hmm. it tends to have a lot of um, stuff in it because it, it's still in the juice and it settles out in the process. Um, and so we're looking at ways that we might be able to provide a little bit more stability and they make something that's a little bit cleaner, but yet still have a very minimal um, inter- amount of intervention in it to mm-hmm. still appeal to that um market of people. So it's been interesting. So um, our students have had the opportunity to participate in that process and sort of, you know, see what we get out of the the grapes that we, um, that we put right into the bottle to do it the natural way. And then the grapes that we um, are adding um, some extra steps to the process to do in different ways and to see those results and then to participate and just even the data gathering. I mean, we do an immense amount of data gathering and chemical analysis. The one thing I think people underestimate about the grape industry mm-hmm. and the winemaking industry is just how much chemistry is involved. <laughs>
1: so, yes, I, I I agree with that. And I think that you could say the same for beer and for cider and oh, for a number of other things. So, anything
4: you're fermenting, there's chemistry involved or anything you're distilling, there's chemistry involved.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it, it takes, it takes quite a bit of training and you're absolutely right. It sounds like, you know, having that resource there and that partnership uh, has really opened a lot of doors uh, for both the individual institutions, more importantly, the, you know, the students than the researchers mm-hmm. uh, to really engage in meaningful work that is going to have an impact on uh, the industry as a whole, which is, which is, you know, great. Yes. Um, so um, just a, a sort of final thought from you I am just because this program is focused on the Great Lakes I'm curious to get your thoughts on um why the our region has become such a um a, a popular place to grow wine I know that there are some scientific reasons behind that but also um you know some uh maybe uh Objective or subjective reasons behind that as well, and I would suspect that being on the lake is uh, plays a part in both the subjective and the objective reasons why uh, mm-hmm. the wine industry has grown in uh, in northeastern Ohio in particular. And I wanted to get your thoughts on that.
4: Okay, so I might punt to Donnie Winchell on um, all of the technical reasons, but I will tell you that it um, it does have to do with the glacial ridges that. Are here across Northeast Ohio and uh, across Ashville County and Lake County in particular, and the, those ridges um, and the way the weather comes in off the lake, um, we see it here. You also see it in places like Traverse City, Michigan, yep. um, where the the temperature of the lake affects the weather along the coastline, and it. And then you add in the the glacial ridges that are here, and the way it affects the way the wind blows in, and I'm not a geography or a geology major, <laughs> but um, it does affect the warmth in the vineyards. And so it allows the vineyards to stay warmer in the fall as the grapes are um, producing sugar um, to make them, the, the natural sugars that are produced inside the grapes, um, which is called a bricks reading, uh, mm-hmm. allows them to ripen more before they need to be picked. So that is why, that is like the, the technical reason as to, So why um, this particular region grows such nice grapes, and particularly that we can grow uh, viniferic grape, which is you know the the higher end, the you know your your cabernets and your um, chardonnays and things that you might not be able to grow everywhere in the area. And then from a subjective point of view, one yes, I think it is the lake. I mean, I think it's a beautiful region. I mean, we live here so i think sometimes we take for granted what's in our backyard Mm -hmm. um but the weather here um is beautiful well it's beautiful all summer and fall it's really Mm -hmm. only the months of december january and february that's not right (laughs) unless you're a snowmobiler i will say unless you're a snowmobiler which i'm not but those people do seem to love it here as well that's true but um but no i mean i think um there and i think there's great reasons to come and visit this region of the, of the state because there is so much here and there's, you know, in addition to the wineries, there's covered bridges and there's other things to do and see here, water sports and, of course, Lake Erie and lighthouses and all of those tourism things that people come here to do. But I also think that um, part of what makes the winery industry in this area so successful is that if you want to go someplace and drink wine, you want to be able to experience more than one location. So uh, it's nice to come here where we have so many wineries located in a fairly small geographic area where you truly can spend two, three, four days going from winery to winery. And you can, you know, I of course encourage you to get a designated driver, but you can experience three or four wineries in a day some people i think try to do more than that but you you can um do that and and get the opportunity to travel around and see what's out there so you're not driving to an area that's an hour away from everything else you're driving to an area where you're going to be able to experience 20 25 wineries all right here And so it really is, if somebody wants to get away for a wine weekend or a a week-long trip to wine country, you can do that right here without having to travel to Napa Valley or without having to travel to, you know, another area of the country.
1: There you go. The Great Lakes, uh, the next frontier uh, the current frontier in uh wine tourism in the united states um and you know obviously we're biased encouraging folks to come to the grand <laughs> river valley region um, but there biased. are a, there are a lot of incredible wine regions you mentioned traverse city michigan but um the great lakes um niagara i mean there's there are oh. a lot of regions around the great lakes where um the wine industry is growing and where related tourism is growing as well so um Thank you for your time and for your role in uh, helping train the next generation of uh, winemakers and grape growers. Oh, you're very welcome. And thank you for having me on today. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Eat Your Heartland Out. I'm your host, Capri Kafaro. I'm also a contributor to Great Lakes Now, and this is one of our special episodes, a collaboration between Eat Your Heartland Out and Great Lakes Now. Make sure that you tune in next Thursday for our next installment of our special episodes. This one is going to be one you don't want to miss. It's about the importance of commercial and recreational fishing in the Great Lakes. So check it out on greatlakesnow.org, heritageradionetwork.org, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Eat Your Heartland Out is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.